Hey everybody, this is Eileen Email with In Phase In Tune with Autism Podcast. Here we'll discuss mindset, efforts to increase mind-body connection, and much more as it pertains to autism. My hope is that this information will reach those who need it and help provide a better understanding of the mind and body of someone with autism. Hey everybody, thanks again for joining in. Today my interview is with Crystal White, who is the mother of an 8-year-old non-speaking or non-verbal little girl, whichever term you prefer. Her name is Aubrey. This was such a good interview. I think that if you are an autism parent or if you are a neurotypical parent, either way, I think that we can all learn a lot from Crystal. We did, unfortunately, have plenty of technical difficulties. I couldn't hear her throughout the conversation many times. So there will be times where the conversation just cuts off and restarts, or we might repeat a few things, but I did try to edit to the best of my ability. This is one of the more long or longer podcasts that I've ever done, but hopefully you can enjoy it while you're listening in your car or if you're just hanging out around your house and playing something because it's it's all good. It's all good info and stick stick around for the end because she tells this amazing story that I just love so much about Aubrey who is non-speaking or non-verbal, but she somehow becomes BFFs with an LSU baseball player. So please stick around for that magical story and um, keep an open mind and open heart. And I hope you have fun listening to my podcast interview with Crystal White. All right, Crystal, thank you so much for being here today at the In Phase In Tune With Autism, the podcast. I'm super happy to have you here and thank you for your time. So first, just tell me a little bit about yourself. So I'm Crystal White. Um, I have two daughters. I have one, Aubrey, who's eight, and then I have a one-year-old, Amelia, and um, I have a husband, Robbie. We've been married for about almost 10 years. This is our 10th year. So we're excited about that. When's your anniversary? Uh, It's December 1st. Gotcha. Okay. So he picked out the date whenever we got engaged. He knew what date he wanted to get married. I was shocked. I was like, wow. What do you mean? You know, the wedding date? He was like 12, (laughs) one 12. I can always remember that. Oh, wow. That's funny. So we had it picked out. I was like, oh, okay, we'll go with that. Um, (laughs) So I work for uh, Louisiana Healthcare Quality Forum. It's a nonprofit and we work with practice transformation. Um, wish I had some job to be able to tell people that it was simple, but it's it's not so simple. Not so simple. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a lot more to it than the title, right? Yeah. So it's always like, I feel like I'm trying to explain what I do for a living all the time. I'm like, <laughs> I promise I'll work. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So we're here to talk about sweet baby Aubs, right? Yeah. I see baby Aubrey, but she's eight, right? eight eight years old so just tell me a little bit about the story from the beginning the diagnosis um things you went through just whatever comes up sure so Aubrey um we got pregnant I was 29 Mm -hmm. um 
We were so excited. Everything looked like it was going great. She kept measuring a little small throughout every ultrasound. Then at 20 weeks, uh, they noticed she was really starting to get behind. So they um, referred me to maternal fetal medicine. They were like, let's let's just you know do a referral and see, but everything still looks good. Um, so everything was going great. And they were like, yeah, she is measuring small. We need to start figuring out, you know, why this is happening why is she restricted and um so they did a bunch of tests uh you know i made it to 27 weeks and some change and i went in you know it was my first pregnancy i went in and they said okay well you're being admitted oh, wow. and i was like okay well i have a meeting at work and i'll be back by like 12 30. they were like oh no like right now you're going in right now i was like wow. I don't even have any clothes or anything. And they're like, no, you're going in right now. So I was like, okay. This was like completely unexpected. Yeah. So I just go upstairs and I was admitted and um, stayed on bed rest. And what was happening is um, they noticed the blood flow to her brain was not um, how it should be anymore. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what they can do with ultrasounds. I mean, they could literally hone in on one specific vein in her, inside her little tiny brain oh my God. that they could watch to make sure that the blood flow was was working. And um, so it became, you know, I had ultrasounds probably four times a day um, while I was in the hospital where we watched everything closely, closely, closely. Then, the, then they came back and said, you have two genetic blood clotting disorders, mm. which typically doesn't impact a lot of pregnancies when you have this, but since you have two, um, when the placenta developed, it it created a lot of, um, because it's a lot of the placenta is just vascular Mm -hmm. and um, it had a lot of blood clots. So they started me on injections of Lovenox. And um, so we did that and we did steroids because we knew at that point she was going to be born early and we made it to almost 29 weeks. And um, so she was born at one pound, 15 ounces. Oh my, wow. She was tiny. And um, so she was intubated for a while. She had um, a few times, she had multiple um, lung collapses. Um, She, you know, they told me they were like, oh, with everything going on you know you can probably expect her to have some vision issues Aubrey has no vision issues <laughs> everything they told us to expect is everything that did not happen that is amazing I know because I'm like I would have never imagined Aubrey and you went through all of that just with how mobile she is and how excited she is and how much she does I mean I, I've met you guys through swimming lessons just to tell the audience yeah and um that's amazing wow yeah, so she uh, she, she was, was she stayed in for about three and a half months. Um, oh, mama! It about yeah, a little over three months. She had um, some feeding issues as well with aspirating and things like that. Um, so she just wasn't coordinated enough to take the bottle, and finally got that down. We were able to come home. We came home for a year on oxygen and heart monitor. So she was you know, kind of strapped to the wall and could only go 10 feet, you know, um, with all of her machines and things. So we kind of, we called our, uh, 
living room command central <laughs> for the first year. <laughs> but, uh, you know, now saying it all backwards, it sounds so crazy. Right. But we really didn't know any better because it was our first child and we were still, you're just so excited, you know, that, yeah. she, that it becomes your normal, you know. Um, so we did have, we were um, blessed enough to have my mom and dad, they were, they would drive every morning from um, Panchatula and come sit with Aubrey while I would go to work. So yeah, that was you know, not many people have that either. So we, we had that situation. We were able to work out um, because there's no daycares. There's no child care that can take kids like that. So no learned right. a, hard quest, a hard life lesson really quickly in parenthood with, with childhood. Sure. You guys had to adjust a lot, a lot. I mean, I can, I can imagine, I mean, being a new mother in general is like such an adjustment. But like I said, it was kind of, you know, since it was our first child, we just kind of, you just go with it. You just, just you know, going, just one foot in front of the other, take it away. So we did, we did, we were, we were a team, you know, um, we needed to watch her calorie intake cause she was so small, you know, um, so we, uh, you know, she ate just like she did in the NICU, eight, 11, two, five around the clock. Wow. So, uh, mm-hmm. Robbie and I both worked. So we would take that, um, you know, if you had the 2 AM, then I had the 5 AM. So we could kind of work mm-hmm. off of each other and get at least six solid hours sleep. Right. So we were, um, uh, you know, going through that phase, but mm-hmm. so that was, that was how we, we managed that first year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Aubrey was a trooper. She was always happy and she was catching up to them for the most part. She was starting to talk, saying, please, thank you, oh. um, doing little songs, you know, mm-hmm. and then about uh, 18 months old, I started noticing whenever I'd say, say, please, she would just look at me mm-hmm. and I was like, Aubrey, say, please say please and she would just look at me and it's like she she knew it was in there but it wasn't coming out and so when we went to our pediatrician I said she's not talking anymore this innocently saying like I'm I'm noticing she's not talking anymore he's like what do you mean and I was like she just looks at me she won't say please she won't say mama she won't say dada she's not singing with me anymore so we got a referral to neurology and uh, they realized she was having multiple, multiple seizures a day. Oh, and wow. um, mm-hmm. people, whenever you think seizures, and and me, whenever I thought seizures originally, I thought that you could you could see them. You yeah, yeah. You're thinking falling out on the floor, like right, but it's it's not always that way. Yeah, yeah, grand mal seizures. I had I that was the only kind you know that I had ever seen or or heard of. So to know that um, she was having all this, it was Wait. like, oh man, you know, if I would have known that sooner to notice that, you know, when she was staring off or, or wasn't looking at me, that that was actually a seizure every time, like I was trying to talk to her and get her to talk to me. Mm-hmm. But um, they kind of explained it to me that the, um, that period of time is a, uh, for children is a big 
brain growth. If you notice, um, about 18 to 24 months, language starts to develop a lot. Um, they start to understand more. It's a part of the brain that just starts to, um, and I'm sure they put it to me, if anybody's watching, that's like really into science. I know I'm not explaining it very scientifically, but um, they put it to me that it was, um, that's when everything starts to connect with language and the brain starts to really develop between that age. And since she was having those seizures, it impacted the language part of her brain the most. Mm -hmm. And um, so she just never re regained that, you know. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So then we became nonverbal. Okay. And um, mm -hmm. so that's where we were. And then right after that, we received our autism diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, you know, will ask the question, did the seizures come first, the autism? I'm not really sure. And neither can the neurologist answer that question. Mm -hmm. So we're not sure on that, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent. I just want to live in the moment with Aubrey and I try to just not focus on the diagnosis a lot. And I know that's my way of coping with things mm -hmm. and that might be a little different. I know a lot of people, um, like to learn a lot about the why, but I just, you know, try to take my time and focus on just, you know, the day and where we're at and what's happening in that moment. Yeah. So that's, I think that's a great mindset and extremely valuable to your experience, to Aubrey's experience, you know, focusing on the why and trying to figure out how, how and what, you know, might not get you anywhere. I, I think, or it might make you just go down that hole and feel, you know, a certain way. And I think that's amazing that mindset that you're living in the moment and taking it by each moment, kind of letting go of the why in the past. That's amazing. Yeah, we we kind of went through the why for a minute and then I realized for me it just wasn't, you know, uh if I do something, I've got to do it a hundred percent. And uh, you know, I realized I'm like, that's not my expertise to figure out the why, you know, like I'm that's not my qualification. So I, I just said, you know, I'm going to have to trust the doctors and find the best specialist I can for her. And mm -hmm. we're, we're going to have to trust each other, you know? Yeah. And so that's, that's just kind of where, where I am mm -hmm. um, or I was with her diagnosis at the time. And mm -hmm. um, I decided just to focus on, to be honest, happiness. That was just what I wanted to focus on as a parent was you know, no matter what, I feel like all parents want their kids to be happy. Mm -hmm. And um, I just wanted to find what made Aubrey happy. And I'm just pretty sure it wasn't going to doctors. <laughs> that so. That is amazing. And that is beautiful. I think that can help a lot of people who are maybe just getting the diagnosis who are stuck in the why. And I love, okay, so focus on happiness. What are the practical things that you do daily with Aubrey to focus on that happiness or what did you do back then pra like practical ways to focus on her happiness and yours yes yeah, so um Aubrey always loved water always so no matter if it was a sprinkler if it was a water hose <laughs> if it was a cup of water she was trying to sit in it I mean you know filling up the sink filling up the bathtub letting her stand in the shower I mean just it was always it brought joy to her. So, you know, that's what we did. Um, 
and then you know a few years ago we we always had that fear though as a parent to mm-hmm. let her you know can she really learn to swim with all her she used to have aspiration issues and mm-hmm. and things like that so it was you know it, it was something that I did have to let go and be like okay absolutely I'm going to be able to teach her yeah I love that because there's fear there, of course. I mean, there's fear there for all parents, like props to you. Cause I mean, I have fear every day with my baby, <laughs> but, um, I love that you're, you stepped over the fear and you're like, she can learn to swim, you know? Yeah. yeah. She loves the water. So I did learn anytime I go and I'm thinking about signing Aubrey up for anything. I bring her with me to the place to be like, do you like this? You know? And mm. she met Miss Sarah at Crawfish swim school and, um, you know, they bonded immediately. So, and she was like, I got this, you know, like I got this super confident. I mean, she listens so well and swim. She swims so well. Oh, she's like, don't worry. I'm going to figure out how to communicate with her. I know how to use like pictures and, you know, we, we got this. And I was like, okay. And you know what? She swims like a little fish now. Yeah. And so I am so proud of her and she loves it. And she's so proud of herself too, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's just, that is something that she loves. Um, she also likes to travel. Okay. Oddly enough, like when we go on vacation, she's very, Aubrey's, um, Aubrey's very unique. Everyone's unique mm-hmm. on the spectrum. Everyone is. Um, Aubrey's uniqueness is probably that she's very go with the flow, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, for the most part, you know, she will go anywhere with us travel, you know, um, one time, I mean, we can just put her in the car. We've literally just put her in the car and been like, let's just, just drive across the United States together. And we do. And she's, she does better than I do. I'm the one complaining. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm ready to get out. And she's like, just fine, you know, like, like we're okay. good. Yeah. We're exploring. I love that. And you know, I feel it's it's a testament to you as parents as well, because these children are so sensitive. I mean, working with them for years and just all the observation and studying that I've done, it's like these kids are wide open and mm-hmm. they will reflect to you whatever you're giving to them. They are like mirrors. So the fact that Aubrey is so confident. And she's so, um, she's so go with the flow. She's so brave. It's because you also have that belief in her and you're not perpetuating the, the mirror of fear. And like, maybe she can't do this. Maybe she can't swim because she had all these issues as a babe. Aubrey is doing so well. And she's so great with people and can figure out her own way to communicate because she has that like that confidence backed up by you guys. And that's what I, I'm really trying to bring this mindset to more parents and, and come from a more empowered standpoint rather than just continuing on the fear train. Because I mean, you hear so much from everywhere. Like how, how did you, I mean, you kind of did tell us already, but anything else that you can give to parents about how to stray away from all the talk in your ear about the fear and the difference and, and have that confidence that your child is here to be who they are and they'll find their way. 
you know, I'm even still learning. Aubrey amazes me every day and teaches me things every single day. Every single day I'm learning from her, you know, and, um, you know, at first as a parent, you think that you have to lead the charge, you know, like, um, I was, uh, introducing her to like our kids' friends and, you know, really like putting her in these programs and her to kind of build relationships. And then I realized, you know, even though Aubrey's nonverbal, whenever it comes to, especially kids, you don't have to explain it to them. I don't have to give explanations. I don't have to, you know, I was over explaining things to people and wanting them to understand. They get it. Kids get it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, not only that, I, I realized like, Aubrey can make friends on her own um, and and she does it in this beautiful way that you would you would just never know. Talking about Aubs and how she's so amazing at making friends and your part in what you think about it. You know, I always thought that I had to do it for her, you know. Um, I always thought that, you know, Aubrey would have friends either through our friends kids or you know wherever I was taking her like I would introduce her I would do those things and then um I realized like she completely has that ability on her own you know she's gonna pick and choose who she feels safe and comfortable with and um you know uh she even though she is nonverbal, she can go grab a kid's hand and bring them to the swing set and they're like, oh, you want me to push you? And she'll put the, her their hand on her back. And, you know, um, you just sit back and you watch as a parent. You're like, sometimes you just have to say, let go, let them do it. Let her, let her get this. I mean, it's not an easy thing to watch sometimes, you know, by any means. I'm not saying it's always perfect. You know, um, you can tell how nervous she is and how, you know, she has to get her confidence up you know um she's she's got a I mean it just it takes her a while it's not going to happen immediately you know like other kids sometimes birthday parties are too much for her you know whenever there's a lot going on but um it's the fact that I'd have to say um for any special needs family it's it's always I've learned this too it's it's about the invitation it's not about let's hop right back in um I think it's amazing that you have that awareness that you can sit there and kind of watch and and you can say to yourself you know it is kind of hard to watch sometimes when Aubrey's trying to interact with kids um but I'm gonna sit back and like see what happens and be the observer for a second and sometimes it takes a while but you do notice that it'll happen that she'll grab a kid's hand and those experiences will happen and she has that ability. And I think the only way that she's going to have those skills is if you let her learn, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a parent, it's also hard to watch them not succeed in things, you know, but I think that's, um, that's typical parents too. You know, you, you have to watch your kids not do so well or not make the friend or, you know, and, and I've had to learn that, like, even though it's special needs parenting, it's still parenting, you know, like we, we also have to go through the hard parts too. Like we can't, I can't try to always control making things perfect for her, 
And um, so it is, It I think that's the most difficult lesson I've learned mm. because I realized um, if Aubrey, you know, she is trying to communicate with me, let me do it. You know, let, let me try, let me do it, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, you look around on the playground and I'm like, or at the birthday party and I'm like, you know, I'm the only mom over here on the swing set like this this I'm the not normal one you know like I need to go over there you know and and take a step back so I try to watch those things and learn from the typical parents as well you know like okay well if 99 of the other parents are over there and you're the one over here I know she might need some help or but I have to let kids figure that out and step in if they want to help, if they don't want to help. And, and Aubrey can communicate with that, what, what her needs are, mm-hmm. you know, if she needs help swinging, she's, she's going to figure out who to ask in her own way. And she does. And I'm, I'm, it's been, that's been a tough lesson for me to learn is to not make it all perfect. You know, sure, I'm sure. I mean, I can imagine just like you were saying, as a typical parent, I have to go through those things too. And I can imagine on your end, like always wanting to help, like as a special needs parent, you know, I'm a sister of a special needs uh, child. And so I know my mom probably went through those same things, like really wanting to fix everything and be there for him. But it's like, so it's extra hard for you, but taking that step back and letting it happen. And I mean, you just explained all of that so beautifully. And I think that is such an important lesson for people to hear and also to switch their mindset to that spot. Like, oh, it can be done. You know, at the birthday party, I can step back and see how my child interacts with everybody else and, and they will figure it out. Maybe they will, you know, maybe this time it'll take a little longer or they won't, but maybe next time they will. Um, I just, I just love what you said there. I think that's going to be super valuable for a lot of parents. You know, I I think it's one of those things that I always tell people it's not difficult. Aubrey's not the difficult part. Her disabilities or or her needs or her accommodations are not the difficult part. It's more um, the systems that a parent has to navigate. It's more um, the gaps that we have in education or the gaps that we have in and private insurance and you know um, we learned real quick you only get approved for 10 speech therapy lessons a year with your private insurance I mean it's it's a constant paperwork trail of you know um, I remember one mom told me a long time ago and the best advice she gave me being a special needs parent whenever you have to go through all these different systems and to get your kid what they need and things like that was, uh, she said, in God we trust and in everyone else we document. So I have become this like documentation guru. So I can tell anybody with insurance, no, I called on this day at this time, talk to her and this is what happened and blah, 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 wow. you know? And, and, uh, so I, I do have to say that that was, that was, you know, one of those things that kind of hits you as a parent. You're like, yeah, okay this is my life now. And this is what I do. Mm-hmm. Wow. You take that in with like so much grace. Cause I, I don't hear you complaining. Like I have to do all this. You're just like, I'm on this and this is what I'm doing. I got this. And 
you know, pointing out that Aubrey is Aubrey, but everybody else needs to catch up. Like, I, I do think it's a shame that you guys have to document every single thing and you have to work so hard to get the services that she needs. Um, I wish, you know, I'm open to advice on how to, you know, move forward in the system. I think having chats like this and hopefully mm -hmm. other parents can hear, typical parents can hear, maybe somebody will hear who works, I don't know, in insurance or whatever. And I don't know, there just needs to, there needs to be a difference. It, it's ridiculous how it is, how everybody has to work so hard to get what they need. There needs to be more resources. I mean, autism is, is progressive and, and um, there's just more and more. So we need to adapt. All yeah. Yeah. Need to adapt. And, and it, 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 uh, we have the resources. We do. We, we have the resources. We have the therapist. Okay. What we don't do is we don't give access. Yeah. So, and whenever I mean by access, I mean, you know, if you give a parent 62 pages of work to fill out by seven different physicians in order to get this one therapy service, and you know they've got to reach their max out of pocket before they can do it you've just beat them down so much that they're like you're tired <laughs> took years off my life just to get this this one approval right you know or to fight this denial and go through these appeals and uh that's what i mean by it's the access and it's the processes that um we have in place that are are really unfair to these kids because, you know, here's a kid that A needs it, B qualifies for it, and C can't get it. And I'm it, like, that's an issue. Get it because of the hoops you have to jump through to get like physician's yeah. approval type thing and, and paperwork? Either that or it's just maybe the type of insurance that the, the parents have that they're not in network or they're out of network or you know, maybe the parents can't pay their max out of pocket or wow. um, then you got to look at, okay, you, you do all this work and you get into this and then you're there. They say, okay, well, we, we have a spot open at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays and at 12 p.m. on Thursdays. And you're like, I can't How am I going to work. Right. How am I going to drive from where I work to pick up my kid to go bring them back there to go bring them back there and then get back to work. So then you got three hours out of your day where you're like, I don't even have enough time off to get them there, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's things, it's logistics, it's right. our, our systems. Um, and all of this put together, you have parents deciding, okay, well, do I quit work? Do I go work part-time? You know, I asked my boss, can I just work part-time? and we figure it out financially. You know, uh, my husband and I sold our house. We downsized We so I could work part-time and bring Aubrey back and forth to therapy. I mean, these are really life-changing decisions that families are having to make that, mm -hmm. you know, I just feel if our systems were better and yeah. um, we wouldn't be doing this and as a society as a whole, you know, if you want to work, you should, you, we should be working and yeah. as much as we can. And, uh, so that's just, that's not the way it, it's, it's not that easy. It's not that cut and dry for these families to have to figure it all out. You know, um, you got kids who need PT, OT, ST, you know, and mm -hmm. 
and uh, you're trying to get it for them and, and you're bringing them back and forth and you're spinning your wheels and all your time off is not for vacation. And then all of these kids' extracurriculars are not fun. They're work, you know, and I know therapists try to make it not work, you know, mm -hmm. seem like work, but I mean, you just get to the point where you're like, okay, am I working her too hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. not, that's why I started, you know, with swim, like, okay, that's it. She's going to learn to swim. Mm -hmm. She's going to have what she wants to do. She does baseball now, loves that. Mm -hmm. um, it might look a little different at all times, but she is enjoying herself, you know, and I feel like, like I said, it's about access and it's about the processes that make it hard on families that I really feel is so unnecessary to make lives harder, you know, whenever you're just trying to get the help. When you're already, you know, you're already exhausted already. And then you have to jump through those hoops. So I mean, I know it's not your job at all to solve any of this. And it's like, what, what could be one thing yeah. that could help the system? So, okay. So my big thing is, uh, we're probably a niche population for even, you know, you got to think about it only about what five to 10% of kids have developmental disabilities. That's not a big population. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who are developing these huge systems are not really developing them to for this tiny population, right? Mm -hmm. So um, um, one recent thing that I learned was um, in our in our new Medicaid system, we have a new program called TEFRA. Our state just passed that, and it is for um, children zero to 19 now in Louisiana, if they meet the level of care and the definition of a developmental disability, they get um, Medicaid without okay. looking at their parents' income, okay? okay. Which is huge. Because okay. um, now the, those parents are never gonna have to go through, well, they shouldn't have to go through all of the stress of reaching their max out of pockets every single year and um, you know, they're not going to have to, you know, with Medicaid, you don't have the, you know, your insurance, your private insurance will say you get 10 sessions a year. That's it. Yeah. Well, whenever you have a kid with significant needs, you need more than 10 sessions a year, you know. Um, so that that helps with all of those things. But the process to get, actually get it is taking about four months, you wow. know. So a parent is having to go through all these things and reach all these different departments. You know, you're going... You're starting off applying in Medicaid, then you get referred over to your human service authority, then you get thrown back over to Office of Citizens with Developmental Disabilities, then back to Medicaid, and, and it's all through the mail in Louisiana. <laughs> Everything's through the mail. So then you got that, and you're trying to meet all these deadlines. As a parent, it's, it's a really stressful process. So we wound up talking, um, talking it out with the directors and developing a workflow. So A, the parents can see each step, how long it's supposed to take, and the customer service number for that piece. So if you're saying, well, I haven't heard back from them in 10 days, I should have heard from this person. I haven't heard from them. I can now call them and I know where I'm at in the process. Okay. So mm -hmm. it's a visual workflow mm -hmm. of this process. 
and how to get through it for those four months. And not only that, it puts the employees in all of those different um, departments. Now they understand their piece and why they're doing their thing. So I think the simplest solution that I have I've come across so far has has been to tell people who are over all of these systems is make a visual workflow, make a step, make it step by step and a visual workflow of mm-hmm. how this parent is supposed to navigate your process mm-hmm. to get to the end result, to actually start receiving what service they are to start receiving. So, and then you don't realize even as an employee, you're like, oh yeah, I, I don't know who gets this next. I don't know where it goes, you know? Really? Wow. Yeah. So I do think that that would be helpful if we had Can that. husband, like talk to the director of these services and, and develop this visual, this work. I'm sorry. I said you and your husband had talked to some directors of these systems and, and made the visual workflow. So yes. Like, so we spoke uh-huh. to the secretary of, wow. of um, LDH and okay. we were like, is this a reasonable ask? And she was like, I think that's a completely reasonable ask, yeah. um, you know, to learn that it's a program called Tefra. It's brand new. We're like, it's kind of complex. You know, people are not understanding what's going on with where they're at with their um, application process. And people are getting denied for reasons we're, we're really unsure of. So um, she's like, no, I think that's a reasonable ask. So um, she put us in contact with um, the directors of each department that touched this program. So it was about four different department heads and um, took about five weeks of working together. And then they um, it's a very long workflow, but it's on one page finally. And uh, parents can see how to access that the TEFRA program for access to Medicaid for children with disabilities. So, and um, I I realized with the success of that, I would have to say, like, if I could, if I could then go to the Department of Ed and say, can you, uh, you know, draw out the workflow of how a parent's supposed to do their IEP and Mm -hmm. what all is that supposed to look like? And, you know, um, I think that would make it easier for parents rather than these just complex things that you're thrown into, you know, on top of things like if you just showed me a one pager map it out for me the steps I've got to take I'll I'll do every step right but when you're kind of like how long is this going to take and who do I call and where am I at you know it gives parents oh, more anxiety more anxiety to, yeah and and it's just a little unnecessary um so yeah I think that that would be something I found that's been very helpful and um mm-hmm. you know not to give a parent a manual anymore. They don't have time to read it. And not only that, like, I feel like everybody learns in different ways. And um, some of that language can be very complicated programmatic language that a parent's not going to understand. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just tell them, okay, take this whole manual. And can you please just give us a workflow? Show us what's supposed to be happening, you know, visual, you know, yeah. uh, we're all becoming visual learners with, with everything, you know, so, and, um, so I think, I think that's what I found that that could help that could push us forward, you know, in an easier way.
Yeah. That's super eye-opening. Even for me, like, I feel like my welcome packet is like quite lengthy just because I feel like I have to get certain points across because my therapy that I provide is pretty different from everything else that I've done in the past. Uh, so that's eye-opening for me to be like, okay, wait, let me trim this down a little bit, maybe to one or two pages, right? Because yeah. you're exhausted. Um, and so that's a big one. You said like navigating, like where I'm in, where am I with receiving these services? What steps do I need to take? And so I think that's amazing that you guys got in, in contact with those directors and worked that out. And so that could be something that you could put into the school system as well is what you're saying to yeah. a, a good place to start. Yeah, especially, you know, whenever it comes to school. So, um, yeah, IEPs, uh, kids who are in special education. Oh, if you say the word IEP to a parent, I'm sure they'll look at you and just immediately like exhaust. I, I almost feel though, that's what I hear from all my therapist friends who work in the school system as well. It's like the paperwork, the paperwork, the paperwork. And so it's like, even the workers are exhausted with it. The parents are exhausted with it. I almost feel like it needs to be like wiped clean and start anew. Um, you know, that's why that's part of the reason why I completely switched my, my practice and my career because the paperwork, the notes that I had to write, you know, it like took away from my relationship with the child, the fun that we were having together, because I have to stress over these notes and make sure that they get approved by insurance. I was like, I'm done with insurance, you know, like, cause that's not what it's about. This kid needs me to, to have a relationship with them in order for their skills to grow. Um, and I just feel like the paperwork takes away from that so much. And, and also it's like trying to put these kids into boxes when everybody's obviously an individual, like, it's like, okay, we have to reach these goals of X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, she reaches this goal, but not this one. And she can fit in this, but she can't fit in that. Like, it's just, it's like too much, too much. It's, it's so like, complex. It's like, okay, get the diagnosis and then you should be covered. It shouldn't be like, okay, mm -hmm. what are you working on now? You have to reach these goals this year. And it's like, well, maybe they have the intelligence to um, understand these goals, but maybe they can't reach them in this way that insurance wants you to specify. It's just, it, it's like, what can we do to switch the paradigm and make it better for these children and these families? Yeah, I, I think... Um... You know, as you said, we're getting, you know, every year the statistic of autism is, you know, goes from one in 82 to one in, what are we at? One in 64, one in 59, something. Something like that. Yeah. Last something like one in 54, but I think it's, it's gone up since then. <laughs> so it's, you know, I mean, we have more and more and more and more. Um, with autism, we don't, we do not know the reason why this keeps going up. Um, there's lots of reasons, you know, like lots of different things that are happening, but, um, you know, we're, we're going to continue to have more and more kids and parents and, and families having to be high utilizers of these systems and, and use these services mm -hmm. and use a lot of their insurance and, and, um, I just feel like we can't we can't continue on the way we we are and treating people the way that we are. And um, as a parent, there's in no way do you want to feel like in no way do you want to feel like ever, you know, hey, there's this thing that my kid needs and a either I can't afford it, b I can't get them there 
or see how do I quit my job and, and get them there and then how are we going to live? You know, I mean, these are all big things, you know, that, like I said, it's not Aubrey. It's not her diagnosis. It's just the systems, the processes, the, you know, um, and I think another thing is, is I've noticed we have a lot of people um, who are creating these things who don't live the life, you know, because we are a niche population, right? So, um, so I think a new, a new kind of like philosophy of mine is don't talk about us without us. Because you're not, you're not going to know how to build this without a family in the room who can can help you. So, you know, if you're doing these things, Mm -hmm. always have a family and there's always one out there willing to volunteer their time Mm -hmm. to sit on your board or sit on your committee or to advise you for free because we just want things to work better and be better for everyone and and um, some, and most of the time, I've noticed, you know, whenever I go to someone and there's an issue, and I just tell them like, hey, this is a, a pretty big deal. They're like, I didn't know. Let's figure it out, you know. Like, and it just takes maybe just having a conversation mm-hmm. with the right people, you know, um, mm-hmm. and or the right person will get you to the right person to say, hey, can can we create a workflow? Is this a good ask, you know? And um, they're like, that's reasonable. Yeah, we can we can get that done, you know, because I do want to be reasonable as well. You know, um, I, I would just have to say that, like my advice to anybody, anything that touches the population is just don't don't talk about them without them in the room. You know, like have someone there to, to represent. And, and to let you know who's living it, who's going through it, who can actually say, Hey, this is what's going on. And this is what we need. And these are the parts that are hard. This is what, where we're not getting supported because who else is going to, who else is going to know any better? I mean, they're not experiencing it. I think that's, that's a thousand percent something that needs to happen. Like every board should have a family um, who's going through it. And like you said, they're, they're willing to volunteer their time. Yeah. So, yeah. That's amazing. That's huge. But I like how you're just, you know, you're a lot of people either come at people with they're super angry and it's like, get me this stuff. And then some people won't come at people at all. And they're just like, whatever, I guess I just have to deal with this. It seems uh-huh. like you're pretty level about it. You're like, okay, let me find the right person. You know, let me be reasonable, but also let me speak my needs. Yeah. So I do have to say, you know, parents that are are families that are angry, it's typically for reasons and trauma. And and like I said, a lot of people failing their children and making them feel like they're failing their kids when they're only trying to get them what they need. So, you know, I definitely relate to that because, you know, I do have a lot of support, right? We talked about that a little bit earlier. You know, my parents were well enough. Um, when Aubrey was younger to be able to come drive every day and help me for those hours that I was at work. Not everybody has that. And, um, you know, you think about single parents, you know, and here I am married, like I had a husband so I could sleep at night, you know, six Mm -hmm. hours, but I was getting sleep. So you can't imagine, you know, other Mm -hmm. people who have, they don't have the, um, the support that I do to maybe be able to 
go to these meetings or talk there. I mean, it, some people don't have that. A lot of people don't have that, you know. Um, I think someone told me the divorce rate in special needs families is even higher than the typical rate. So you've got to navigate that too, you know. Right. And maybe with you bringing that up, we can segue into that and you can give your advice on that. Okay. So we're kind of talking about, you said having the support, of course, is a help. And one of the biggest things is being a teammate with your partner, right? Um, Where, where can you give advice there? Uh, You know, you can easily in this world get pit against each other, you know, Mm -hmm. easily. Um, I think being um, vulnerable and self-aware, you know, um, for each other, like um, letting each other know whenever maybe you're different. I think I think the best thing my husband did for me, and this is going to sound absolutely wild, was Aubrey was about three years old. And we were in the thick of it, right, you know, um, with our diagnosis and then realizing there's no access to childcare. She can't get into private schools, you know, um, you're like, wow, wow. Okay. 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 You know, and you keep hitting brick wall after brick wall, Mm -hmm. trying to work, trying to pay bills, trying to pay the insurance, trying to go through these things. And, um, so my husband told me something that was really profound at one time he said um he said you know you haven't told us that you love us me or aubrey in in months and i like looked and i was like but i do and then i realized like i i knew that i loved them but i wasn't feeling any emotion wow it's like survival mode had just hit me and i i just it just took over and um so i wasn't I wasn't angry, I wasn't sad, but I also wasn't happy and I wasn't excited and I wasn't feeling emotions. So, and I was like, okay, so at that point, we decided that we were gonna, um, you know, I was gonna do therapy, try to figure it out. And then, you know, I was diagnosed with depression, which shocked me, you know, it was situational depression. And, um, so I think being aware and, and and him telling me that probably saved a lot of us so I could get help and that we could get help to deal with it, you know, and um, because I think a lot of families don't, you don't, you know, just like seizures, depression comes out in a, in a lot of different ways. And I'm like, but I'm not sad, you know, right, right. Like, but that doesn't mean, you know, you're not having emotional issues or are these problems like your brain's not handling it's nothing you're doing wrong yeah and um so I was like oh wow you know like okay so you know he was understanding and then I started feeling emotions again Uh and being happy and you know working through those things and um so that took some work you know this all of these things I don't understand how it could not not change someone you know as a parent all these things mm-hmm. um and like i said it's not our kids it's it's not their diagnosis it's it's everything else right along mm-hmm. with it which is beyond their control and beyond your control and um 
it's just it's the brick walls, the hoops, the mm -hmm. tons of paperwork, the the denials, the rejections, the you know like figuring out well, what do you do for school? Where do you go for school? You know how can what are you gonna do? You know, right? Um, I mean, props to that self-awareness because, I mean, at the time, like you said, you realized you were in survival mode. You're just trying to get all the things done, trying to stay on track. And then, you know, he had enough awareness and enough courage to bring that up to you and say that to you. And then you could have easily went into defense mode like, no, you know, I'm dealing with this and this is hard and I love you guys. But you took a step back and you were like, whoa, you know, and you got the help you needed, which... I, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because I do feel and see that a lot of family families won't get the help. They'll, they're just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. So I'm glad you got the help so you could start feeling again and work yeah. through those things and, and move forward. Could you talk a little bit about how you worked past that and, you know, sure. what was involved? Sure. I think it, um, you know, became, one of those things that I, I wasn't good at talking about it because, you know, I'd really never been through anything like this in my life. Right. And in my mind, I just kept thinking if I can outdo and I can outpace and I, I can do enough of these things and get her enough of this help, it's just going to, it'll be done one day, but it's never going to be done. This yeah. is what. Um, so you said you weren't used to talking about those things. Um, yeah. Nothing like that had ever happened to you. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think um, being able to talk with it with someone who's a professional who can make you understand that these things are normal or, you know, like anybody going through this would would be having, you don't know what you would, <laughs> what would happen, you know, mm -hmm. um, but that it's okay that, you know, you can reach out to somebody and then, you know, knowing that. Uh, I did have a partner who was so willing to be a safe place for me for for whenever I had to say, this is too much, you know, like it's too much for me. I need you to step in. Like I can't, you know, um, go to all these appointments with her. I mean, some of the appointments are tough. Dental mm -hmm. appointments are hard for kids with special needs. I mean, they are traumatic sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, eye appointments with a baby. I mean, I don't even know how <laughs> I never realized that that would be a traumatic experience for me, but you go and you know, they hold your baby down and they literally like take their eye and look behind it. Like, <laughs> so you're like, Oh my gosh, you know? So it's, it's, um, it's things like that where where you can say like it you can you can say those things that you know hey it was a it was a hard day gonna need you to maybe help me you just I had to learn to say um, what I needed yeah and learn to verbalize it to the people around me like hey today was a long day with a lot of appointments and mm -hmm. I'm a little drained you know I just gave her a bath I'm gonna go to bed tonight and I'm probably I'm not going to talk, but that doesn't mean I'm trying to be mean, you know, I'm just trying to just need to process all of this. I'm definitely an observer and a processor, and I've learned that and I'm not much of a reactor. So to some people that can, you know, come off the wrong way, right? That I don't get that I don't react, you know, and yeah. they're like, well, what's wrong? And I'm like, 
Nothing. I don't know yet. Let me think about it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, just that piece right there, how people always say communication is the key. It sounds so um, cliche, but it's like, it is the key, you know, you learning to verbalize those things like, Hey, it was a long day. I need, I need to go to bed, you know, um, just doing that is like so huge and it could be so huge for your relationship and just keeping the safety and the peace because also culturally, I think people think, all right, moms have to do everything. They can't ever be tired. You know, they're not allowed to say that they've had a long day and, and it was really hard because then they're not strong. So it's, I just love the awareness piece you're bringing to it. And just like the openness about you. I feel like you're, you're going to be such a teacher for so many parents. Um, yeah. yeah. So thank you for sharing that example. I think, um, you know, one thing I learned about my husband is that um, he loves golf. Mm -hmm. That's his outlet. Mm -hmm. Like golf is his healthy, like release. And, you know, um, he goes ever since we met, he goes every Saturday morning, he gets an early tea time and he's back usually by one o'clock. Mm -hmm. And um, he started playing in tournaments. He's, he's a wonderful golfer, like wonderful scratch golfer. So proud of him and, and everything he's accomplished mm -hmm. with that passion of his. And, you know, it became something that brought us closer together because I truly do support him in that mm -hmm. and realizing like he needs a man in a way sometimes. And even though it's tough on me and I'm at home and I'm dealing with things you typically don't have to deal with, you know, like changing eight year old diapers and, you know, like those are, are not fun things, but you do it because I want him to have that healthy outlet as well. Right. and and have that in his life and um i do support that and and you know me supporting him comes back tenfold with him coming home being able to support us right. and all of our needs and and pick up pick up from where he left off you know um right so i'd have to say you know i did have to work on me not being jealous of golf, but being supportive of golf and realizing that it's healthy for not only him, but us. But y'all, right. Yeah. Giving him that true support for his outlet, like you said, is going to, it's going to come back to you. That yes. support's going to come back to you. Yeah. And, uh, and I think he supports me. Um, I have a book club. Um, it's called read between the lines. <laughs> love it so we're not like intellectual by any means you're not gonna learn a lot of <laughs> philosophies from us but i mean you'll have a good time uh, and then uh so then me um i promise my baby is with a the therapist and i'm not leaving her alone <laughs> screaming <laughs> i promise right uh but uh i have that time and then i have uh we live in this neighborhood right across the street from our school um, and it has so many wonderful kids and so many wonderful families that I have this great group of neighbors that just, we support each other. Like we love our kids, each mm -hmm. other's kids, like our own. And mm -hmm. that's, it's amazing support to have, you know? And, um, so they, they can be my rock at times, you know, they're, they're my outlet, you know, going on girls trips. We just took, um, just our daughters. I took just Aubrey to the beach on a beach trip. Yeah. Um, we went for four days over spring break and she did wonderful. Loved it. 
riding golf carts. She, yeah, she was all about it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I saw Um, the pictures from that. So sweet. So cute. Yeah. So, I I mean, now I know another little place that's, that's great for her. So I love that you brought that up. Another great thing for parents is like that self-care, right? You know, you brought up your husband's outlet and self-care and then you have your book club, uh, your, your rock that you talked about the people that you live by, um, your neighbors, those things. So maybe those parents can ask themselves if they're, you know, having a tough time, like, do I have my support system? Do I have my outlet? Does my partner have their support and outlets? Because they may not even be aware of those things and they may just be trying, like be stuck in the, in the rat race of everyday life. And so it's like, let me stop and take a breath, not react and figure out what I need to fill up my cup so I can be be there for my family and my kids. I love that. And I know we're running out of time here. And I just wanted to talk about one or two more things. Uh, I really wanted you to tell me about um, Aubrey's relationship with the LSU baseball player. Tell me all about that. Oh, Dylan. <laughs> I, 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 I could talk about Dylan all day. Like I promise you <laughs> to do our own little segment about him because he, mm-hmm. he is literally a gem of a human being like mm-hmm. him and his family. And, um, you know, Dylan has taught me a lot, a lot too. And, and he, he probably has no idea what he's taught so many families, you know, last year, um, Aubrey's nonverbal and she doesn't, um, the things that she says, um, she's not really interested about people on TV, maybe cartoons, people's not her thing, you know, but <laughs> so, uh, we were watching the LSU baseball game last year. He was a freshman, um, so it was his first games of the season. So we're watching it on the couch. I was pregnant with Amelia, and um, Aubrey comes in, and she says, Dylan Cruz. And I was like, what? And then yeah. I was like, Cruz? And then I was like, did she say Dylan Cruz? And my husband's like, yes, she did. So then she he's back up to bat, and she comes running back in, Dylan Cruz. And she oh was God, cheering, and we were like, what? So yes. I was like, who are you cheering for? Dylan Cruz? And she was like, Dylan Cruz. No and way. so I recorded it. And I was like, we don't know who Dylan Cruz is, but we're about to get jerseys made. Like, <laughs> right. we, were, we were pumped, you know? Yes. Like, she doesn't say mama or daddy, but she was saying Dylan Cruz, clear right. day. Right. I posted a little video. It was on my Facebook page. It was private. Um, and then, you know, a friend showed a friend who was a baseball player who showed Dylan and Dylan got his parents oh my who God. live in Florida. He's from Florida. Okay. To contact me through uh, social media and his parents said, Hey, um, our son saw the video and he would like to meet Aubrey if she could come to a game. And, um, so, uh, he gave her tickets and, um, He's just this kind soul. He said, uh, she can come to my batting practice if she needs to get used to the state. Like, I didn't even think of that. But he thought of that. And he doesn't have family or siblings with special needs. So um, she went. My husband took her. um, And uh, she gave him some bracelets, some autism awareness bracelets. He still hasn't taken them off to this day, years later. You know, she hugged him. Then it was her birthday. She had a little, in June, she had a little Dylan Cruz uh, birthday party. (laughs) And he was in the Super Regionals last year at 
in Tennessee. And as soon as he got off the bus, he was FaceTiming Aubrey for her birthday. No. And uh, so she's waving her little birthday balloon and showing him it's her birthday. And he's, you know, hey, Aubrey, you know, just like, I'm going to be playing for you. I mean, he wound up being like college freshman player of the year and just he's amazing. Um, this weekend we were all going crazy cause I think he hit like three home runs, four for the total week. We're, we're just all Dylan Cruz fans. And so he came to her, um, back in October, the opening of her all abilities field to watch her play baseball. He came and she immediately ran up to him, put her arms up and he's just carrying around, you know? And, uh, My so, God. You know, this year his parents said, hey, Dylan, you know, said he wants more kids with special needs to be able to go to the baseball games and asked us to buy four tickets, four season tickets. Can you help coordinate, you know, they're from Florida, more um, families to go to each game? And I have. And I can tell you an interesting statistic that you would yes. enjoy. Yes. So just just like me. I reacted the same way as these parents did to every time I ask them, Hey, would, would your kid like to go to a game, a baseball game? 100% of the time the parent goes, Oh, um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how they're going to do at a game. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, like, are they going to melt down or are we going to have to leave? And I'm like, there are no strings attached. It's just an imitation you know, you can go or you don't have to go, but you don't have to have any strings attached. And um, 100% of the time, the kids have gone, stayed the whole game, mm-hmm. loved it, mm-hmm. done so well. Yeah. And uh, so does Aubrey, you know, like all that noise and, and they love it. And then, you know, they love cheering for Dylan and it doesn't matter if he wins or loses. They're not keeping track of that. They're just there because Dylan invited them. And, um, you know, I, that's what I'd have to tell, if I could tell Dylan anything, he taught us as parents, like, we can do this, but you know, that invitation means a lot to us. Wow. And, um, his parents, you know, just, they are just so kind and they're also genuine. Like, it's amazing whenever any of our kids meet Dylan, you know, he's looking at them in the eyes and excited to take the picture. Even if they won or lost that game, he's meeting them outside the gate and he's excited to see him. And it's the same Dylan, the same smile every game for any kid. And uh, I just, you know, I wish you could just, every parent could meet Dylan and know that their kid can make a friend like him. Wow. Like they can do it on their own. We didn't do it. She did this. And she picked him and they are friends. And now he's friends with all of her friends. And um, so for the last game of the home game of the season, it's on the 17th. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a Tuesday at 630. So I know it's hard for everybody. But, um, you know, all the parents and the families, I'm like, hey, would you, you know, like to go? Um, we're going to go watch Dylan for his last game. So right now we're up to 67 wow. people going who have been Gosh. to the game. And we're all going to tailgate. And, you know, we made posters that say thank you for being a friend. Um, and we're all going to be out in right field cheering for Dylan for oh, his yeah. last home game. 
We're going to have 67 people out in right fields and we made little posters for him. Yeah. Um, with all the pictures from all the season of everybody. And it says, thank you for being a friend. Cause I mean, he really did, you know, in his mind, he's just like, Oh, you know, just invite more kids to the game. Right. But it's innocently just exactly what should be happening in the world. Just inviting and, you know, including, including, and that's it. And, and, um, he's literally just showing you how to naturally do it. And he's this I mean, great the, athlete, Right. the impact. I mean, the impact that is absolutely beautiful. And I, when you said Aubrey chose him, it's true. Well, how did, how did that happen? You know, like to me, that is such a God wink and just, yeah. it just proves how sensitive these kids actually are. And, you know, they might be sensing and understanding the world way more strongly than all of us. And so we don't have to feel sorry for them. I think they have yeah. their wisdom and intelligence about that. Like, how did she just start saying his name? And look at this beautiful thing, a line of events that have been creative. And now you have almost 70 families going to the game. Like that is, that's such a beautiful thing. I think there's 20 families, but there's almost 70 people. 70 going. people. Gotcha. Okay. So 20 families, 70. Hold on one second for me. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. And it all started from Aubrey just saying his name. Yeah. And who, who knew that she'd choose an 18-year-old at the time who wasn't even from Louisiana who said, oh, that's great that this seven-year-old little girl said my name, you know? I mean, chills. Yeah, because that could have turned into nothing, but look what it turned yeah. into. That just gives me tears. And yeah, I, I can't wait for everyone to hear this story. I love it. Yeah, and he has such a, um, our community, I mean, we just... The way he treats us and, and, and our kids, like, I mean, now he has, he has so many mamas in Louisiana now. <laughs> like, they're all like, tell his parents we live here and we'll take care of them. Right. I'm like, I will. <laughs> right. And yeah, like you said, that's all you need to do. Like, just open your heart a little bit, right? Include. Yeah, I love that. Well, you've giving, given us so much wisdom today. And uh, I just love, love, love your mindset. And I love how honest and open you are. I think that that this conversation is going to help a lot of parents and a lot of people. There's, I wanted to share a post that, that I loved from you so much. Um, and it kind of has to do with the mindset that I'm talking about. So I'll just go ahead and read it and we'll end on that. Okay. Okay. This is a post that you shared the last day of Autism Awareness Month, and it says, you don't have to teach your children anything complicated. It's just important to teach them to be kind and just say, hi, everyone wants to know they are loved and have a friend. Kids with autism want that too. My little advice for families going through getting a new diagnosis of autism, don't underestimate that kids genuinely do want to be friends. Your child can make friends on their own and will be accepted without even saying a word. You can trust other kids and families to embrace yours. Don't hide from the world. Find you a little tribe and enjoy every minute of this journey with them. Yeah. Mm, I love that post so much because, I mean, so many times, not even just autism or autism families, we're afraid to share our voice and we're afraid to make our mark, right? And especially yeah. so- so especially with um, autism and special needs, there's going to be that fear wrapped around it. And I love that you're just sitting in that empowered spot and you're like, we are who we are. We're in this moment and um, don't underestimate anything. I just love your message. Yeah. 
yeah yeah I think um I think that goes for not only autism or special needs but just <laughs> being human in general just say hi you yes. know <laughs> if we all just said hi to each other you know the world would be a much better place and I think we complicate things where we think we have to maybe fix someone's special needs or fix someone's autism or fix someone's issues like I know we talked about a lot of problems but like I said just saying hi makes a difference in in my day and Aubrey's day even if she can't say it back but you know when we go to the grocery store and we see a little girl who you know or a little boy they're like hey Aubrey and I'm like oh you know Aubrey they're like yeah we see her in the lunchroom and I'm like oh my gosh <laughs> hi <laughs> you know I'm like that's so awesome and it does it makes your day and it makes Aubrey's day and you know even though she might just wave back you know um that's okay but I, I would say yeah it, it, we we don't have to complicate things. We just teach kids to be kind and just say hi. You can be the first one to say hi, and it doesn't matter if, if someone can't say it back. It's okay. That's all right. Absolutely. Magical. So, I love it. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. I know that you are so busy, but thanks for making the time, and thank yeah. you for doing this work in the world. I feel like uh, you're, you're playing your role really well and inspiring a lot of people. So, and thank you for what you do. And I always say this, um, every sibling of, of, of a child with special needs, like I always say, I wish they could run our country. You guys just see things differently, not even from a parent's perspective, because you just love unconditionally and, and with with the parents, you know, we kind of deal with the weight of everything and we might get a little stressed out, but man, these, these siblings that I've met, I'm like, you are an amazing human being. So, you know, I wish uh, siblings ran the world and, and made policies and <laughs> created these systems because it would go a lot differently for us. It would. I promise. That means a lot. My heart, my heart. That yeah. means a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. Alrighty. All right. Bye. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye.